the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab, episode 465 for Tuesday, September 10th, 2013. Greetings, folks, and welcome. The Mac Observers, Mac Geek Up, the show where you send in questions, tips, answers. We send in questions, tips, and answers. That's not how it goes. The, the show where you send in questions, tips, and cool stuff found. We provide some answers along with some questions of our own from time to time. We share your tips, we share your cool stuff found, and we also talk about the things that interest us from time to time as well. Today, here in Durham, New Hampshire, I'm Dave Hamilton. And today, and probably tomorrow, <laughs> here in Fearful, Connecticut, John F. Braun. John F. Braun. How are you doing today, John F. Braun? Fantastic. Good. I'm glad to hear that. It's, um, it's good. It's good. Uh, so today, uh, I have not watched the video yet because the video didn't come out uh, early enough for me to actually watch it before we recorded this show. But uh, I followed along with the live streams and everything. It is the, the 10th of the 10th of Tuesday, uh, September. I'm, I'm just going to confuse things today. It's just how it's going to be. So we're, I'm OK with it. Are you guys OK with it? Hopefully. Um, and uh, and so Apple just finished doing their iPhone 5S and 5C announcement in uh, uh, Cupertino, California. And so we'll talk a little bit about that uh, here, John, because uh, I'm sure we both have some thoughts about it. I think it was it was it was interesting. I, I'm curious to watch it, I think. But uh, but I think I got the gist of it, uh, including sort of the the unspoken stuff as it as it cooked along. So two iPhones, right? John, this is interesting. They they announced two new iPhones, but they but they did it uh, in a even though it seems different. It's actually the same thing it's always been with a twist, right? When the iPhone five was announced, they uh, made the iPhone four uh, free with a two year contract, and then the iPhone four S was ninety nine bucks uh, with a two year contract, and then of course the iPhone five was one ninety nine, two ninety nine, three ninety nine, depending on how big you wanted the thing to be. Uh, they did the same thing here. So the iPhone 4S now becomes free with a two-year contract. And the iPhone 5 is no longer for sale. But the iPhone 5C, which is a new product that, whose specs mostly match the uh, iPhone 5, takes its place at the $99 price slot or $199 if you want a little bigger. And then, of course, the iPhone 5S, $199, $299, $399. And, uh, and that's how it goes. So interesting stuff. Have you taken a look at some of the videos, John, and the, the pictures of the of the new 5C? Because that one, it, it's a different look. It certainly is. So yeah, so I, I followed the various commentaries on uh, on the, the Twitters. So, so I think I get it. And yeah, I would say the uh, the 5C. So first, um, yeah, the, the, the info that leaked was, for the most part, almost entirely accurate. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, the 5C, I would say, is probably the biggest, the uh, largest deviation here. I mean, it almost reminds me kind of the uh, the funky uh, IMAX that they came out with at one point. And that uh, I think one of the keys here, and if you watch the video, actually there will be a, another Johnny Ive uh, video that you'll find as well, where he's talking about the form and the function and yep. the colors and the, and the things like that. Um, 
and depending on you know your visual receptors here, you may love them or or hate them. But uh, I I think they're targeting a different uh, a, a different market here with the C. Uh, yeah, I think so. Uh, I mean, it, it I it's uh, doesn't take a genius, and and I say that because I can figure it out um, to see that this that the five C is really geared towards or partially at least geared towards the Chinese market, but. Um, in watching the video, I really got the feeling that the 5C is like the physical embodiment of iOS 7, right? I mean, it's got these the, the same colors. It, it, you know, the phone now feels the same inside and out with with iOS 7 on it. Um, and and I, you know, I think it's a good thing. Like you said, it's back to the days of the, you know, the candy colored iMacs, that, that whole thing. I think it's cool. And, and you know, we've seen Apple sort of go up and down. Um, for you know, in and uh, with those colors, they they do them for a while, then they back off, then they do them in a different product line, and they back off. But um, but the it's cool because when I first saw it, um, I thought the five C was just like an iPhone five or something similar with a plastic shell around it. That is not the case. The shell is the 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 plastic is the 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 body of this thing. They do reinforce it with some metal but that metal then becomes the antennas so and then they build the you know the, the phone's guts inside this plastic shell so it really is uh just you know as you see it and uh, i'm curious to hold one i i think they'll probably be pretty nice to hold um perhaps even nicer than the five and the 5s because i i don't know the, the metal thing isn't my thing but you know whatever That's yeah okay. and yeah. and they said uh Again, in the, you know, the kind of, you know, in industrial design video there, they said it's, a, a, I think, a, a plastic. We'll, we'll admit. It, it's, it's plastic. Yeah, they called it polycarbonate. Or, or polycarbonate. Yeah, blah, blah, blah. It's a nice way of saying plastic. Yeah. Uh, it may, uh, I don't know, that may help it make it a little tougher for, uh, you know, people that like to drop their phones. And yeah, stuff because like that. I'm assuming the 5S, like the 5, is made of... Um, it's a composite material. It's um, it's actually an, an especially mixed alloy of aluminum, balsa wood, and chocolate uh, is what the, uh, the the outside of the iPhone five is. Yeah, no. If you ever took a butter knife and just like you could just get the butter knife close to it and maybe move it up and down, you don't even have to touch it with it, and it'll get all scratched and everything, and it'll get dinged up if you drop it like into some change on your pocket in your pocket or something. Don't drop it more than an inch. Uh, in your pocket onto some change because it'll get dinged up. So, yeah, it's a very special material. Uh, I'm thinking the 5C is probably made out of something a little bit more rugged. Can you tell I'm not happy with the material of the iPhone 5, John? 5C or 5S? No, the 5. Well, and presumably five. the 5S. Yeah, I mean, the five. I think the 5 and the 5S are made out of the same thing. I'll still get a 5S. So let's, let's talk about this 5S because it's, it's an interesting... Uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm excited about this for... For, uh, for well, possibly surprising reasons. The, the, the biggest thing uh, for me in the 5S is the camera. Uh, if it delivers even half yes. of what they've promised here, it is so good for idiots like me with cameras. I'm, I'm just not a camera guy. You know, I've spent time learning other things, but at camera, but I like to take pictures some of the time. And what Apple's doing, merging hardware and software together with that thing is... They're essentially making it so that in the end you press, you know, the shutter button and you get a better picture than you would have previously. And that's the goal. 
They're, they're, it's like it. I see it as a, a, a step down their path that they started with HDR mode in the iPhone four. Right, John, where they, um, they have it take two pictures and then you can choose between those two. This is now taking like four pictures and picking the sharpest elements and merging them together and, and coming up hmm. with the best picture for you. Um, which I think is awesome. I'm, I'm totally stoked about that. And then yes, the optics are a little bit better, but only incrementally. Maybe will it, does that make all the difference? I don't think so. I think a lot of it is in the, the, um, the, the, the software and the circuitry inside the phone. Yeah. At one point they mentioned the, uh, the aperture, I think it was 2.2 F or something like that. And all of a sudden I'm like, Oh, they're going to, they're going to introduce aperture. No, a new aperture, but no, they didn't. It was, no, no, it was totally an iPhone event. Now the one thing that strikes me as unusual, and I don't know why they touted it or what, what, what their goal is here. Yeah. So of course they now claim, and I think it may be for marketing reasons, but they're like, Oh, it's the first 64 bit iPhone. So it's an a seven process. That's right. And it's a 64-bit smartphone. And I'm really scratching my head over why they decided to do this because I am not clear on an iPhone-class device what the benefit is of having sixty a 64-bit processor. Yeah, I was trying to think, is there... I mean, are they doing uh, like this image processing and stuff in a way where 64-bits... Um, you know, having a 64-bit path would, would make it faster, you know, more efficient uh, to, to do that? Well, the thing is, so 64-bits does two things for you. Uh, a very high-level view here. I know yeah. it does a lot. Yeah, let's keep it. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, good. so the one thing, 64-bit, a 64-bit processor or architecture does give you the capability to access more memory than a 32-bit processor. But at this point in time, uh, I don't believe there is really an iPhone that uh, can add, uh, can take advantage of ad- uh, accessing memory beyond, I think it's four gigabytes. So I question that. And then the thing is, 64. Um, uh, so I think iPhones, well, at least the iPhone five, I think has one gig of RAM in it. Right. And there's some, some speculation that the 5S would have two. So, right. But, but still, and I even to saw your some point. De- yeah, yeah, yeah. And I even saw some developers saying it's not for the memory, at least at this point in time. Right. It's not for accessing more memory. And then 64-bit software doesn't necessarily, though it can, but it doesn't necessarily run faster than 32-bit software. It could for right. certain things, but it may not. In some cases, it actually may be slower because now you have 64-bit registers versus 32-bit registers. So I think they're doing this, maybe one, just for the marketing, saying, hey, look, we got a 64-bit processor. And number two is that down the road, as they upgrade the other parts of the phone to 64-bit, uh, then we may see the benefit of it. So, yeah. so I don't, I don't think now it really makes a big difference that it's sixty-four bit. I think, and and it should, like most other migrations to sixty-four bit, it'll run thirty-two bit code. Right, right, yeah, of course, of course. Um, so another thing about the the five S I wanted to talk about, John, which you know factors into some of the threads of conversation we've been having here on the show is the what Apple's calling Touch ID, which is their fingerprinting. Uh, fingerprint recognition or authentication uh, process. And it, it's, it's interesting if, if you watch the, it's a video about the five S and it's only maybe four minutes long. Uh, did you watch it, John or no? 
I did see, uh, well, I saw the, you know, the, the, the screenshots and all that. So, okay. so, I, so I, I get what they're doing. It's nothing new. Other right. Well, let me, let me explain it because, Go. because you may not, you may, I missed this until I watched the video. So let me, let me explain right. what they're doing it, to the user. There are two things that can happen with touch ID. One is that uh, when you put your uh, finger that you've you know previously set up over the, uh, or onto the home button, it unlocks and wakes up your phone, which is totally convenient. And I like that. Uh, the, uh, the other thing that they're having it do out of the gate is you can set it up so that your fingerprint can then also authenticate uh, you for app store purchases, which is also awesome. Right. I mean, it totally convenient the way it's done though, because I was concerned as I'm sure we all are. I'm crazy about protecting my fingerprints and especially protecting my kids' fingerprints. I just won't let them put them anywhere because once they once that data gets compromised, there's no getting it back. It is Pandora's box. You can't change your fingerprint like you can your password, right? So, well, yeah, okay, uh, right. Not with not okay. without spending a lot of money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And <laughs> we're getting and some sandpaper, right? Right. Yeah, or or yeah, some whatever hydrochloric acid. But yes, okay. So, um what Apple says is that your signature data A is never leaves your iPhone. And B is stored inside, and they put this in caps in their press release. It's stored inside a secure enclave in the iPhone's A7 chip. So it is there is some secure storage. It's encrypted and then and then stored there on board the chip. So it's not even in RAM. It's you know nowhere that in theory any third party app uh, could get to it. But here's. What here's the interesting part, unlocking it. I get it. That's a root level function, but the app store, that's not that that's just an app. Right. And, and we've seen other apps install apps, right? Like you can do with hockey uh, app or, uh, or test flight if you're testing software. So the app store is just a regular app, but it gets to use private APIs. And I'm nearly certain that there is a private API where an app can go to the phone and say, Hey, will you authenticate that this user is who they say they are by using their thumbprint or their fingerprint? And, uh, and the phone will do it and then either return yay or nay back, you know, to the app and then they're unlocked and good to go. And I can totally see that being this, you know, one of Apple's like the camera, right? Slowly marching down this path, iterating as they go carefully. And then it becomes a way to like use your iTunes store account to pay for stuff at Starbucks or at a vending machine, right? I mean, this whole mobile micropayments thing, I think is, is uh, th- this is Apple's path down that or Apple's Apple's trajectory right. down that path. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it opens the door to uh, what we've uh, seen happening slowly with uh, certain people in the past, multi-factor authentication. And this, yeah, this but is this the, is single factor authentication. It's not multi-factor. But, it's no, multiple well, choices. Well, uh, Okay, hold on. Uh, I'm saying it opens the door for the potential. Mm, okay, mm-hmm. that's and true. That yeah, this is the what you are part of a multi-factor authentication system, which is what you know, what you are, and what you have. This yep. is the what you are in that it's a biometric. That's right. Now it, it introduces though some risks. So it, as we kind of suggested, if you get a cut or you burn yourself or something, uh, your fingerprint may not work. And, and that's bad, though, though, from what what they said is that you can use multiple fingers. Five, so unless you, five, you, five fingers out of the gate, they, right. it will store. So unless you so unless you burn your entire hand or, or 
heard it. And then, you know, of course, people were joking about, you know, you know, in addition to someone stealing your iPhone, they would now have to cut off one or more of your fingers in order to uh, be you. And I think they also mentioned that they, they do, uh, which, which is part of fingerprint sensing, is that they do temperature sensing. Because uh, one of the classic attacks that some people have done in the past is called the gummy bear attack, which someone actually was able to defeat some of the early scanners by taking a gummy bear, putting right. it against their fingerprint, and then putting it on the device. And because the temperature, it didn't check the temperature, it was like, oh, that's you. Okay. Uh, that's cool. Actually, it was a gummy bear. <laughs> So, but, but, but it's, uh, and I've seen fingerprint scanners on various uh, PCs, I think ThinkPads and some others uh, as an additional way, uh, either multi-factor or just another way to, you know, unlock the machine. So right, it's, it's, right. it's cool to I, see. And I think people I, have speculated we may see it on the Mac. I, I like it on mobile devices and I hope that the next, you know, wave of iPads uh, has this too, because I never when I'm the only time I put a passcode on my iPhone is when I'm traveling and it's because it's it's inconvenient to have to type the thing. But when I'm traveling, I, you know, I, I feel like, well, OK, I, you know, I it greater chance of me losing this and there's data on it that, you know, probably shouldn't be spread around. So, yes, I'll, I'll do it then. But with this, I would leave a passcode on it 100 percent of the time because. I just float my thumb over the button and it unlocks. And that that's actually faster than what I do now because I got to do the swipe thing. Yeah. Yeah. So that's good. Now, you brought up an interesting point. I, I want to ask you about this, but I think you, you had tweeted something earlier. So this, as far as I can tell, is a capacitive technology mm-hmm. similar to the screen on the iPhone. That's right. And you had made this statement that certain cases may prohibit you from taking advantage of this yeah so is that correct well i i did tweet that and and i'll explain what i meant i i saw that you know the new camera um makes me want my iphone to be waterproof right and and that's been true with with every iphone that i have i just i i want something that i can use outdoors and i you know we do a lot of vacations on the lake or by water and i would just like to have the peace of mind that if I happen to drop this stupid thing while I'm taking a picture with it, uh, you know, I'm not out 600 bucks or whatever it turns out to be. So um, I would, you know, when we travel, a lot of times I'll put a life proof or one of the Obex cases or whatever on my iPhone for exactly that reason. My guess is that you could make a film uh, or a piece of glass or something that sat over the button uh, that was part of the case that, that, conducted enough of the fingerprint through that that it would work but the problem is you've got that there's a ring around the the home button now that uh is conductive and it senses when you've put your finger there and that's when it turns on the sensor so as to save battery and all that good stuff so that that makes it very uh tricky i would assume for somebody like lifeproof to do this doesn't mean it's impossible it just you know means current i would imagine that current iPhone five cases, many of them will still work with the five S it looks to be the same size. Things look to be in the same spot with the exception of the camera and the flash are a little bit bigger. So depending on how big the aperture is in the case, you may or may not, um, you know, be able to, to, to use it. But my life, a life proof case would, you could use it, but you probably have to type in a password. You couldn't use your, you know, your thumbprint thing. So anyway, okay. that, that was, that was my thought. Um, trying to think one other thing that, uh, struck me as odd is, uh, but you know, but, but is interesting iPhone five C pre-orders start on the 13th, which I believe is this Friday. Uh, 
iPhone 5C and 5S are released in stores on the 20th. There are no pre-orders for the iPhone 5S. If you want to order it, you can, and those orders start on the 20th, which is the same day that they're in the stores. My gut says that they're doing this to uh, have more fanfare. You know, when, when people line up for the phone, all that stuff, there's a lot of news coverage. There's a lot of stories written. Uh, when they moved to the pre- online pre-ordering, a lot of that went away, you know, for, and for, for good reasons. So I have to think that they want, you know, more press. And so that's why they're doing it. At least that's my, that that's my, I can't think of a good reason otherwise. All right. Cause it's a pain going to think, I mean, imagine every single person in line has to, or half of them have to, you know, migrate their number over from, you know, their carrier or upgrade a phone. And so it's going to be this, you know, five plus minute process per customer to get them to the point where they're ready to check out. And that's if you've got everything else right there. So I don't know. We'll see. What do you think, John? I think I may have to upgrade my phone soon. <laughs> Yay. That would be good. I think I might get a 4S. <laughs> oh, no, get the 5S. I uh, always get right. the and here and I will make a case specifically for you. My general advice to people is buy the best and if you can't afford the best, buy the best you can afford, right? Uh, with computers, I I modify that to buy the newest because you know it's going to be obsoleted uh quickly anyway, so you might as well, you know, get it as far ahead of the curve as you can. And specifically for you, knowing how long you keep uh, any gadgets or, or devices mm. that you use, why would you, I mean, you're going to keep this thing for, you know, for probably what a decade or two. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, why start behind the eight ball, get the fastest, best thing that you can. Maybe you don't need the 64 gig version. Maybe the 32 is good enough, but you mm. know, otherwise I would say get the five S why? I mean, it's, it, you know, you're probably talking about a hundred dollar Delta here. It's not, you know, yeah. 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 Maybe I'll jump to the five. Because the only thing I can't do right now is there are certain devices that, that I've actually... There is no 5, by the way, right? You can right. you can jump to the 5S or the 5C, but you cannot get right. an iPhone 5 anymore. But they still offer the 4S. Yeah, but don't get the 4S, dude. Get something right, with right, the, right. the right size no, I get screen. It. You know, I get the 5S. The only, Just get the, the 5S. Only, the only thing I don't like about the 4 is that there are certain Bluetooth devices that will not work with the 4 because the 4 does not have a low-energy Bluetooth chipset. Yep. And I've received a couple of devices for review, and I tried to use them, and I would try to download the software, and the App Store would say, sorry, man, can't this download the software. This is why you like, need current stuff. This, this, you're yeah. making my point for me. So get the 5S, and that way you'll have the longest tenure with that phone. But the 5C is so colorful. Or does it stand for cheap? Or chi- I, I don't know. Get the five. Yeah. Get the five S. I, I think I'll get the five S. Gold color, if you want. I like the gold color. I mean, I want to touch it, but uh, I want to no, see. We'll it. check it out. I think it's good. Uh, well, no, I actually submitted. Well, as one of the articles. Well, you saw that. You know, one of the articles we showed how to step through the various stores, and I actually provided some screenshots. Yeah. On how to do this to the Verizon store, so they do. They will actually throw some cash at you for your old phone. Right. Not a lot. I think it was like sixty-five bucks or something like that. And unfortunately, which makes me shake my fist, at least at Verizon, I don't know if the other guys do this, is that they charge a $30 upgrade fee. They all do. Guys. They all do. They all do that now. Yeah, it's a processing fee. 
Okay, and then I think I'll lose my unlimited data, but eh, you I don't will. use a lot of data. Anyways. You may or may not. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, it depends. Well, last I saw, and it, it, I can't find it anymore, but if you bought it for retail, then you could maintain your unlimited data plan, but With, then you're paying 650 bucks for the phone at least. Yeah. <laughs> but I bet if you looked at your data, you would find that you probably don't, don't need it. I, I use maybe hundreds of megabytes a month. Yeah, I don't even reach any of the caps for the plans, which are typically gigabytes per month. Right. So. All right, so this is a good, it's a perfect time, in fact, to talk about our first sponsor, uh, which is gazelle.com. Gazelle is the place you go if you want to sell your iPhone, right? So, John, I would encourage you to go and check out what Gazelle's willing to pay you for your phone versus what Apple's willing to pay you. And what's cool is normally you can only lock in your price for 30 days. Right now, Gazelle is offering lock-ins extended all the way through October 15th. So uh, what you do is you go right now. And I would I literally would stop what I was doing, uh, except you can't because we're doing the podcast, but you'll do it anyway. So you go to Gazelle.com, John, and you put in what you have, you know, your iPhone 4, whether it works or not, which, of course, we know yours does, how big it is, what carrier it's on, blah, blah, blah. And then... Uh, Gazelle will give you a price if if uh, and it costs you nothing to lock in this price. In fact, no money ever leaves your pocket. It leaves theirs and comes to you. But first, what comes to you is a box. And then you have until October 15th to send that back to them. Uh, and it, and so you can wait until you get your iPhone five. But at least you've locked in your price today because we all know that come September 20th, when people start getting these new phones in their hands, they're going to be selling a lot more of them back to Gazelle, and therefore Gazelle's price that they offer is going to go down. So, uh, so check out Gazelle right now, and there's a little place in there to put that Matt Geekab uh, referred you, and we would appreciate you doing that. And uh, and so that's what you do is uh, go to Gazelle.com. That's where it all starts. It's fun. Well, I I just looked uh, I. I, I was able to multitask here, Dave, and actually the the dollar uh, amount that they're willing to pay is more than I've seen the uh, other guys uh, willing to pay me. So That's it looks great. Like they they pay top dollar. That's they do. I better lock that in. Yeah, I've I you know I I've used them several times myself, and I'm I'm always happy to be able to use a sponsor. But like you, you know, I always kind of look around, and they do. They they continuously have uh, have the the top price. So yeah, so maybe that lock it in. There's no harm in doing it if if. Between now and October 15th, you do nothing else except throw away the box that they sent you. You're done. That's it. You, you don't, you know, you're good. You don't owe them anything. They don't owe you anything. It's done. If you happen to send your phone back, they'll pay you what, uh, what they told you they'd, uh, they'd pay you for it. So, um, Or if you've lied to them about the condition, well, then they might negotiate you. But, uh, but they're really fair about it. We've heard from so many listeners how good they are. So check it out. All right. Uh Time to get into some questions here, John. And answers, yes. Yeah. Oh, no, no. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. That's not how it works. <laughs> uh, so Rinky Dink uh, is where we will start. Or Rinky Dinky? I can't remember. Rinky Dinky. Uh, it posted on the Mac Observer forums. Uh, or the Mac, sorry, the Mac Geek Gab forums at the Mac Observer. Uh, a question that, uh, that I think we have an answer for. And I'm going to call Rinky Dinky a he, but I could be completely wrong on that. I'm just arbitrarily deciding. So Rinky Dinky writes, he says, uh, hello, uh, I've just joined. So if this question's already, it hasn't been asked. He says, I get PhotoStream and I get how it works. Take pictures on mobile devices in bingo. They're everywhere. However, I just noticed that a large number of pictures that I put on my Mac, 2300, in fact, just for storage 
are all now on my mobile devices. I just want to know if I can stop any pictures I put on my Mac from being transferred to all these other devices that are linked to PhotoStream. I thought it was only a one-way sharing by default. And uh, by default, I don't believe it is, but you can uh, change this. Uh, you go into iPhoto on your Mac, you go into Preferences, and you choose PhotoStream, which uh, in my version of iPhoto was the fourth button or tab over. I don't know what we're supposed to call those. And inside there, there is one option that says automatic upload. If you uncheck that, that should accomplish what you want and get you back into the one-way photo stream. And I can totally see where that would be handy. You know, if you don't need all those photos on your iPhone or iDevices and you just have the one Mac, then absolutely, you know, set it to automatic import so that it pulls everything in on your Mac and not automatic upload. So hopefully that helped rinky dinky. Uh, and hopefully it helps more uh, some of you, too. Well, it'll help Aperture people as well, because you pretty much get an identical screen screen in the same place, Dave. So if you go to Aperture, Preferences, uh, Photo Stream, you will mm-hmm. see the same thing. My Photo Stream, Automatic Import, Automatic Upload. In my case, I have Automatic Upload unchecked because I do not want to do that from Aperture. Right. And then there's a shared photo stream checkbox as well. And so, so it does work the way I the way I assumed, right? If you uncheck that box, you're not pushing things from Aperture Correct. up to PhotoStream. Awesome. Because I don't want to. All uh, uh, I'm okay with consuming uh, mostly pictures I take with my iPhone. I'm okay with consuming those with Aperture. But yeah, I don't want it to because yeah, like you know, <laughs> like a rinky dinky or uh, you know said. I mean, the thing is, I have thousands of photos, and I, I don't want to waste the bandwidth uploading all of those to PhotoStream because I I don't need it. Right. Aperture. Yeah, right. Right. No, I'm I'm totally with you. I may turn that off on mine too. I gotta think about this. Yeah, there's times when I use it though. If I'm trying to get screenshots around, it's actually kind of handy. But uh yeah. Well right. it is. I mean you're not chewing data. You're not chewing phone data if you do it from Aperture or iPhoto. So yeah. Well, you're gonna chew it downloading it, so hmm. Yeah. Uh yeah, but I think you can on the iPhone, I think you get to send or set uh, if PhotoStream uses 3G data, right? Uh, okay, now now you got me flying by the seat of my pants here, John. So I go to general, cellular, and then at the bottom, uh, so settings on your iPhone, general and cellular, and at the bottom of that pane or uh, page or whatever you want to call it, uh, there is a set of things. Yeah, but no, but it's not here. So no, PhotoStream only uses Wi-Fi. There are, but that is a good spot to look. You can tell it not to use your 3G data for things like, you know, iTunes or iCloud documents. If you don't want, think about that, you know, before you choose it. But uh, you can decide, look, I don't ever want it to download music over, over, you know, over cellular data because it's just going to burn up my, uh, you know, my, my 3G or 4G. So there you go. Yeah. But PhotoStream will only ever download over Wi-Fi. So if you have home Wi-Fi bandwidth limits, though, that could be a problem. Mm-hmm. All right, John, you're going to take us to Anand. Anand has a question and he says, hi, DNJ. <laughs> hi, A. <laughs> Yo, I wonder if you or listeners can help me with a puzzle of how to scan over a Wi-Fi network. I have a Samsung printer scanner combo machine, model SCX-3405W. I have this connected by USB to a Mac Mini, which is on all the time, and via Printopia, it is accessible by all Macs and iOS devices. This works perfectly. The challenge I have 
is how to scan over the network. Currently, I use ScreenShare for my MacBook Air and access the scanning software through that. I then save files to a folder, which is shared. Is there a more elegant way where the scanner can be accessed directly from a Mac on the network? And even more amazing, <laughs> do you know of any iOS-friendly apps, such as Printopia, that would enable me to instruct the scanner from my iPad? I don't know if I can answer the last part, but I can certainly answer the first part, depending on the scanner here, Dave. So one of the cool features of the most recent uh, OS X is that you can share not only printers, but scanners. Some. So scanners yes it would depend on i think the the thing is they have to be standards compliant i think twain or whatever the heck you call it there so uh, so the question i asked him is does the scanner appear in the list of devices if you go to system preferences hardware print and scan i think that's the criteria here if it does then you should be able to click on the device and then you will see in that preference pane an option share this scanner on the network that's right. You can also enable scanner sharing by going to system preferences at sharing and check the scanner sharing box. And then there's an article. I'll post that here. So uh, if it's standards compliant uh, and, and this works uh, worked well, I've, I've done it. I actually do it for, for printing, but it works equally well for scanning. And then what happens is that any other machine on that network, if you do open up the uh, Pref pane for scanning and printing, and then you want to add one. If you have shared, if there's a shared one on the network, it will appear in the list of devices, and I think it, it lists it as bonjour uh, as as the uh, type of uh, technology used to share it. Uh, yeah, I think that's probably right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or at least to advertise that it's sharing it. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Right. So yeah. that's that's my answer, and I'm uh, I'm sticking to it. Works for me. All right, let's move on to uh, let's move on to Antone. This is one that actually has been in our queue for a little while. Uh, Antone writes, "I was wondering if you could help me with my external hard drive. I keep getting the error message: the disk was not ejected properly. I'm not using a US hub, and the hard drives are self-powered, meaning they are plugged into the wall in addition to USB. I'm not disconnecting the hard drive. I have it plugged in all the time." This has been happening to all my USB hard drives. After a time, this causes the hard drive to die for good. doesn't happen when I use the hard drive with Windows or Linux. My drives also have FireWire connections, but the MacBook does not have FireWire. I've rebooted the Mac and the external hard drive, but the issue came back after my reboot. I had this issue a few months back. Uh, when on a month long, I went on a month-long trip for work, and when I came back, the problem was gone. My coworkers think I should reinstall the OS. I do have a copy of Mountain Lion. I think I may be having a hardware issue with the MacBook. I am running Snow Leopard. Okay. Interesting troubleshooting option. I don't know if we're going to nail it, although I think we've heard back from Anton since then, and, and I think uh, we might know what's going on. But um, the way I would head down this path is the first thing I would check, and, and again, you know, you've probably ruled this out because you've tested it with other machines, but test the power supplies to the that you're using for the hard drives, because if those are flaky or cutting in or out, that would cause uh, this problem. But that's probably not it. Uh, number two, I would check the USB cable itself. Again, you can use the other machines to do this, uh, but it's definitely worth ruling out because USB cables, you know, they we move them around, we flex them. Things can happen. And sometimes those can be bad things uh, that happen. 
The other, th- the next thing I would check is what else is on the USB bus, right? Where, um, where, where are we with this? You know, what, what other stuff do you have? And some of that stuff might be internal to your Mac, your, your Mac, like your FaceTime camera, your keyboard, your trackpad, all that stuff inside your laptop is USB. So check to see, you can use system uh, profiler. You go mm-hmm. to uh, the Apple menu and do uh, uh, hold down the option key and do system information is the quickest way to bring that up. And then just click on USB and it will show you everything that's connected. It might mean that moving the device to a different USB port to get it off of the same bus as something else. That might be the magic answer. That would also be the magic answer if you have a hardware problem with a USB port because you're moving it to a different port. Um, you know, running Apple's hardware diagnostics, I, I, I've never seen it give a false positive but I've seen it give a lot of false negatives. So if you run Apple's hardware diagnostics and it says everything's okay, that doesn't necessarily mean everything's okay. But if it says something's wrong, something is wrong. So that, that would be another, uh, another interesting thing. Uh, we did hear back from, from Antone and, uh, he says, uh, at first I, he, he did upgrade to mountain lion and he looked at the console and there were still errors, um, from the old OS. So he unplugged all of his external drives. He opened up the terminal and deleted everything from his hard drive with a, with a terminal command that deletes everything, which is kind of weird. Uh, he says after the upgrade, the drive still didn't work. Then I switched the USB cable and that fixed it. He says, I guess that goes to show you try the easy stuff first. So there we go. Number yeah. solution. Number two solved it. Yeah. 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 Which I didn't think would wow. because he had tried it, but maybe the Mac was pickier about that. You know, who knows? Who knows? Well, or it could have been a intermittent connection, which uh, I mean, what's happening is when the drive, one thing that could be happening, and it sounds like in this case it was, is that the drive is losing power and it disappears off the bus and then the computer complains about it. Well, not losing power, but losing its signal to the computer. Right. Right. Well, it could, it's yeah, still it being powered. Be the- I mean, if it was the USB oh, cable, right. it's, it's not- externally powered. Okay, correct. I got it. Correct, correct, correct. All right. Though for a drive that's powered by the USB cable, it could be it. Yeah, mm-hmm. but it boils down to that a fl- that that a cable that is is damaged in some way could could break the connection, and then yeah, you get this message. Okay. And it's possible his Windows machine's USB bus is more tolerant of losing a device for you know, let's say you know the Mac says if I if I don't see this for more than you know, 15 milliseconds, consider it gone. Whereas the windows machine, uh, that, that USB bus says, I'll give it a hundred milliseconds before I report back that it's gone. And that might right. be enough. Right. I mean, that's, you know, flaky cable on one. Right. Yep. Yeah. And a final way to solve problems like this, uh, though it, it wasn't, it didn't apply in this case, but, uh, some devices like we had a Garmin device in the past, uh, the firmware may be flaky. Um, in this case, it didn't apply, but just to throw that out there, if you yeah. have a device that where you're getting this message, see if they have a firmware update that could prevent this behavior. So. Yeah, totally. 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 All right. All right. Uh, let's see. Where are we with this? We have Jeff up next. and I'm having trouble finding his question. Do we have it? We have it in the Dropbox here, John, which we used to share sometimes. Did it make it there? Uh, I have it. You do? Okay. Then I will. I'm sure I have it too. Uh, I just don't know why it's not in your Jimbo Well, for let me. me read it. I got it. And then you can That's in front of me. Good. Uh, Jeff writes, I have a problem that's driving me nuts. 
I have an iPhone 5 that's syncing with an iTunes library on my Windows PC. iTunes is only syncing a single playlist. My issue is this. When I manually delete a song, artist, or album from my phone via, via the music app on the phone and sync with iTunes, iTunes will then restore the deleted song, artist, or album. I have Googled around and various sites indicate that I must uncheck each song, artist, or album from my music library that I no longer wish to be synced. While this may work, it seems highly inefficient, more so in my case, as I have 80,000 plus songs. Is there a better way? Uh, yeah, I've run into this too, and I agree with you, Jeff. I don't, it, I don't think unchecking is um, the necessary path, although it may be a workaround in, in your case and, and sometimes in mine. Um, I think it's supposed to work the way that you're trying to do it. Once you, un, once you delete something on the phone, it should then not sync it back. And I've seen it not just with songs, but I've seen it with apps. Um, a lot of times I'll, you know, go through my iPhone and, you know, I, I collect apps, right. You know, testing things or whatever. I just install a lot of stuff. And so I'll go through sometimes on a Saturday afternoon and just delete 15 apps. And then I go and sync my phone with my computer, which I don't do all that often because the computer's asleep at night. And when it, you know, when it plugs in, so, uh, I go and sync it with the computer and it puts all these apps back out there. It's like, oh, no, I make them go away. And what I have found to solve this is, or what I believe causes it, is that when the phone and the computer are not in sync to start. And as I said, mine, I don't sync very often with my computer. So, I, you know, when I do it, it's starting too far in the past and it thinks that changes were made on the computer after they were made on the phone and they're out of sync. So before I delete any apps now, I sync with my computer and I do it twice just to get everything happy without making any changes on either side. Then I make one change and I sync again and I test it. And if that works, then I head down the path of deleting lots and lots of things, but it sometimes takes three or four syncs to get it to stop doing it. I've seen it do it with TV shows on my iPad movies. It just wants to put this stuff out there that I've said, no, I don't want it synced. And it just takes time uh, and several syncs. Now, obviously there's a bug somewhere, but you know, we can't fix that. So that's what I do. Have you ever seen it, John? Um, not really. The only thought I have here is that, Dave, when, when I'm looking here at my iPhone, so I do see within iTunes a couple of things. Uh, so when you click on the device, you're going to get a number of uh, different places with different data. You're going to get the phone data, backups, and then there's an options section, Dave. And I do see some options here, which you may want to examine and may be influencing this, this behavior. So one of them I see is called sync only checked songs and videos. And on my system, that's unchecked. Okay. Um, it shouldn't matter though, but yeah, I mean, that should just limit the amount of things that are eligible for syncing. Not right. 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 right? I mean, you know, all right. Yeah. Yeah. And then actually I'm, you know, like I mentioned, I'm, I'm set up. Uh, I actually have a checkbox next to manually manage music and videos. I prefer to do the manual thing versus letting the phone take care of it. So, yeah. And you don't do iTunes match for music, right? Correct. Okay. That's a handy thing. That's a handy thing. And I am looking forward sure. to iTunes radio. I have not put any of the, uh, you know, developer builds of iOS seven on my, uh, on my phone, but 
Mm-hmm. Now that the GM is out, which I think it is, I may yeah. uh, I may head down that path. But I'm going to replace my phone tomorrow. It's been having that SIM card problem where it says no SIM installed, and uh, uh, I, I want I've got ten days left on the warranty, so we're gonna we're gonna take it down there and swap it out tomorrow afternoon. Cool. <sighs> yeah. All right. Um, yeah. Let's go to uh, Pierre has a. Uh, an interesting tip. Let's see if that one is where I think it is. It is. All right. And Pierre writes, uh, let's see. Uh, wait, let me make sure I've got it. Okay. He says, I have a MacBook Pro Retina 15 early 2013 uh, running Mac OS 10 Mountain Lion 10.8.4. Uh, most of the time it's in clamshell mode connected to a 27 inch Apple display with an Apple Bluetooth keyboard and trackpad. But when I use it without the accessories, the lid open and and with the lid open, I suddenly encounter problems. At first, the internal keyboard and trackpad won't respond when the display dims before going to sleep. Movement of the trackpad doesn't wake it frantically clicking or hitting keys eventually wakes it. But this takes time. I did some testing with the lid open, letting it go to sleep with the Bluetooth stuff nearby will produce the same result. The internal keyboard does not wake it right away, but the Bluetooth does. I also tried a different uh, new uh, brand new user and the same result surfaces. It seems like the internal input devices go to sleep and I can't get them to wake up. We went through round and round and Pierre finally came back with the answer. He says, I decided after talking to Apple that concluded it was a hardware problem. uh, He says, I decided to reinstall the OS from the recovery partition right on top of the existing system. No nuke and pave, just a, what I would call a maintenance reinstall. And he says all the problems were solved. So we are, you know, we used to do this with windows a lot back in the late nineties when it would get wonky, we would do a maintenance reinstall of windows, same version right on top of itself, then let it run all the updates. And a lot of times that would put something back in place that had gotten out of whack. In his case, I'm thinking there was some USB driver or something human interface driver that was corrupted or semi corrupted. And, uh, and the, the maintenance reinstall solved it. So it's a good it's a good reminder for all of us that this is a potential solution to these problems. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's good stuff. Yes? No? Thoughts? When in doubt, reset. <laughs> when in doubt, reset. Yeah. Yeah, you know, and, and we I had a I don't think we shared this last show, but I had an email exchange with a user and we, you know, we, we did something like just reboot or, you know, was it one of these solutions that got that just solved it, but shouldn't have solved it. And uh, he wrote me, he's like, what do you think that was going on? Should I worry about this, you know, happening again? And I said, no, my feeling on this stuff is the first if if you have a, a problem once and a quick restart or something like that fixes it and it doesn't immediately come back. Don't worry about it unless it comes back a second time, then fix it and then worry about why it's coming back. But if it only happens once, don't drive yourself crazy. That's my advice. Free, you know, right here. Just extra bonus. <sighs> All right. Our second sponsor, John, is uh, one that I am glad to have back. And that is Crash Plan. Crash Plan is... Uh, one of my fa- certainly my favorite it's the one i use it's it's uh, they're an online backup service and they uh they do some cool things first of all you go to crash plan you you download the software and you um can set up an account there and upload your data to them 
they allow you to seed your data if you want to uh, mail them a hard drive as opposed to using your uh, your your bandwidth to send up to them. But uh, but they you know they, any way you want to get them your data, you get it up to them. Uh, your data is encrypted not only uh, in the stream, right? We talked about this last time, uh, but the stream might be uh, 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 compromised, right? At least by the NSA. Your data is also the the payload is also encrypted and it stays encrypted on their servers. And you can choose to do it in one of two ways. You can do it using their key, which means they could decrypt it, but they can also help you decrypt it in case you lose your password. Uh, And the other way to do it is to use your own key. And then you got to remember that stuff because they can't help you. But it also means the NSA can't help you or can't get to your data. So uh, so they will allow you to do that. And uh, and you just upload the data to to their servers. They've got plans for uh, multiple computers if you've got multiple machines in your house. And if you have multiple machines in your house, you can actually create a second set of backups from crash plan machine to crash plan machine. Every computer that runs the crash plan software can become a desk, a backup destination of its own. And what that means is uh, John and I could uh, both upload to crash plan, but then we could also send data to each other. Like we could each hang a hard drive uh, or like Pete and I, we hang Drobos at eat pilot Pete and I hang Drobos off at each other's homes. And we use crash plan that way too. And it's this extra layer of security. If I want to get a quick file back, I can do that online at crash plan. But if I need all my data back, I can run over to Pete's house and there it is. And I don't have to wait for it to all download. I just drive my Drobo home and I restore. So, uh, so I highly recommend checking it out. It's very cool. Uh, I have it running on all my Macs and, uh, and it runs great. And it's, like I said, it's, it's easy to talk about because I use it every single day, sometimes multiple times on both computers, backing up once to crash plan and at the cloud and once to Pete with the private cloud, but all using my key. So Pete can't even read my data. So it's good stuff. We love crash plan. Check it out. Crashplan.com is the place to go. And if they ask you, Tell them Matt Geekab sent you. We would appreciate that. Good stuff. Use CrashPlan for a while, right, John? Yes. Yeah. It's good. Didn't even know it was there. That's the way it should be. That's just sits sits there in the background, just backs up your stuff. Uh, I think once I had to retrieve a file that I accidentally uh, deleted, and uh, and it was there. So that's the right. That's the idea. Yeah, I do recommend with any backup, uh, be it CrashPlan or anything else. Once you get your backup in place and you feel good that it's uploading and or copying or however you're doing your backup, practice. Try a restore. Uh, not only to confirm that it does it. I mean, I can tell you CrashPlan does it. John just told you CrashPlan does it. They're reliable. They know what they're doing there. But the real question is, do you know how to do it? Because when you need your data, it's probably crunch time. And you don't want to have to be reading through, how do I restore my data? What mm. button do I click? It's pretty easy with cl- CrashPlan, but it's worth, you know, when you're in panic situation, it's, it's nice to have been through the process. So it's not new to you. Not that it's difficult, but it is nice for it to be something familiar when you're in panic mode. So that's my feeling. Well, actually, I remember... And then we can move on here. Yeah, but I remember that one, one great feature is that, so this was during the, uh, the uh, super storm, I guess they called it here. Mm-hmm. But I was out of commission, like many people in my area. We didn't have power for several weeks. So right. I did have power for the computer, but uh, my, my internet and stuff was, was kind of up and down and up and down. And what it will do is that if, if it does not phone home, 
during the time period that you schedule it, it'll send you an email saying, uh, yeah, by the way, um, I wasn't able to back up your stuff. Is everything okay? And that's a really nice, it's nice. Again, it doesn't happen unless you need it to. Right. Um, But it was basically saying, I haven't backed up your stuff. You may want to see what's wrong with your network or, you know, or, you know, yell at the power company to get your power back on. (laughs) Well, no, that's a handy thing because, you know, like John said, he didn't think about it. It just worked. And when that happens, you stop thinking about it. You stop worrying about it. You stop thinking to check to see if your backup works for the first month. Yeah, you're all over it. Then after a while, you're just like, oh, yeah, it works. You don't stop worrying about it. So it's nice to have that safety net of an email saying, hey, check this out. You might have some problem. Uh, So, all right. Uh, That's uh, crashplane.com. And uh, our thanks to them, too. All right. Interesting question. I love this next one. Um, Hmm. I, 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 well, Michael writes, he says, in the latest podcast, Dave mentioned that he can rip Blu-ray discs to his Mac. He says, I can rip regular DVDs with hand hand brake and use my Apple SuperDrive. I'm unaware of a Mac way to rip Blu-ray or play those discs on a Mac. Help me, Mr. Wizard. So, Michael, I don't have the ability to rip Blu-ray on my Mac, but I would actually like it, um, you know, for the reasons I mentioned in the last show. It's really nice to just manage my music or my movie collection that way. Uh, But the reason is I lack the hardware to do it. Handbrake will do it. And OWC sells drives that will rip uh, and play, but uh, rip Blu-ray discs. So uh, you can you can check it out. They've got a little article uh, there on uh, on OWC that we will put into the show notes, and uh, and we'll go from there. But I mean, they've got drives in like the hundred dollar range that will do this, and you can check them out and and decide what speeds you want and uh, and all that good stuff. So highly recommend checking it out. It's uh, it's very interesting. I like it. It's good. So that's the answer to that question. I got to get one. Because uh, Blu-ray, yeah. I mean, I gotta well, get a, a Blu-ray reader. One. Yeah, I have a Blu-ray pl- right, uh, DVD player. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I gotta get a reader for the computer so I can put it in my my movie now, library. That makes me wonder. So I got a very basic one. I think it's a Sylvania. I wonder if there's a way I can pop it open and make it work with my computer. Probably not, but. <laughs> uh, well, why couldn't I mean if it's got a well? It depends on the port, interface, right? Right. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if mine has a SATA port, but I mean, it. yeah, I think it would depend on what interface they're using to connect the uh, Blu-ray player to whatever processor or embedded system they have in this thing. But uh, yeah, yeah, I may have to hang an ugly cable out of it. But uh, yeah, what the heck? Oh, that's a good idea. No, my criteria for getting a Blu-ray player was as soon as they go below 100 bucks, that's when I, I threw down the cash to get one. And actually, I got one, Dave, without the annoying BD Live. I hate that feature. It's so freaking annoying. What's like, this? I don't. Uh, a lot of Blu-ray players have something called BD Live, which will reach out over the internet and grab content, dynamic content, and stuff like that. And it's like I don't, I don't want you to do that. Oh, interesting. I just want, I just want you to be a disc player, okay? I, okay. I will say this, and I'm with you. I, I think I waited longer than you did to get a Blu-ray player. In fact, I know I did. Uh, but we wound up doing the same thing. You know, less than a hundred bucks. I think we paid sixty-nine bucks for us or whatever. Um, but uh, I have, I didn't have this problem because I connect everything at my house. If it's got an Ethernet port, it's got a cable in it right and it's wired up and it's on the network and that's really handy because a lot of blu-ray players can do things like play amazon video or you know hulu sometimes netflix etc 
But uh, the other thing they can do is update their firmware. And this gets really important when new movies come out, because uh, I was at my father-in-law's house. Uh, they were out for the evening. We were down in Florida at their house. This was last winter or something. And, uh, and we rented a movie to watch. And we couldn't play it because their DVD, their Blu-ray player didn't have the latest firmware that allowed it to unlock this DVD. And so we had to, um, we resorted to alternate means to watch the movie. Uh, I think, I think torrent may have been used. I'm not sure um, Mm. somehow, but listen, we rented the movie. We wanted to play the stupid thing and, uh, and we couldn't. So I found another way to play the movie and then, and then we deleted it. And I don't feel bad about that, yeah. right? You know, we just, we just yeah, we are. yeah. I so, saw an article online. I think it was a fish shake against the certain ma- model of Samsung Blu-ray player, where it has this problem where they promised a firmware update, and it's been months and months, and people are basically stuck with, uh, yeah, a device that doesn't play their disc. Which to me is, I've never had that happen. Yeah, yeah well, because yours, pro- yours is probably connected, right? No, no, it's not. No, I've done. Well, well, no, this one I actually did. I think I did one manual update. So you got to download a bin file and then burn it on a disk and you stuff it in there. And it's like, oh, this is a firmware update. Okay, I think I had to do one firmware update, but I've never had a disk that did not play. Okay, I I got kind of lucky. Yeah, that's a good thing. Right. Yeah, it was very frustrating. Uh, It it was uh, and it was a good movie, too. We were going to Oh, it was Castaway. I, I, I mean, which I loved. And we we were out to dinner and we were telling the kids about it and they're like, oh, yeah, we should get it. So we went to a movie store or whatever, you know, I don't know, Hollywood video or fun. So anyway. Oh, wow. Well, I'm actually in the middle. Uh, it actually uh, shut down at a pause, but uh, I actually today. So they just released uh, Star Trek into darkness on Blu-ray at Redbox. I, I saw reserved that. it like a, I reserved it at like one in the morning. I'm like, I got to get this. <laughs> That's awesome. It's cool so far, but yeah. yeah, it shut down like halfway because I had to do this podcast thing. So, uh, yeah, well, you know, you, you got something to look forward to when you, uh, when I you like it so here. far. I like it so far. It has the same energy as the other, uh, as, as oh, the other I, ones. yeah, this is the, the, the most recent one that was just in the theaters, right? Yeah. 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 yeah we saw that one in the theater. I thought that was awesome. Good. We have a theater near us. If you can find a theater near you that lets you reserve seats, it changes really? everything, dude. Yeah. Hmm. Our theater, it's small. It's this new multiplex or whatever. And the, the rooms are small and they may only have like eight or 15 seats that can be reserved total in the theater. And then everything else is just, you know, general admission like normal. But it is so nice for a seven o'clock movie to get to the theater at 655 and go sit down and watch the movie. It's so much better than like the stress. I, I worry well, about especially this if stuff. you're a family and it's a first and, and it's a, yeah, if you're a family and y'all want to sit together and it's a first run, you know, film, then yeah, it kind of sucks if you have to. Yeah. But I even worry about it just for me. I, I, I don't like to have a bad vantage point. Even like when I'm at South by Southwest, I always make sure I get up in front of the line so that I can get a good seat and be comfortable and watch the movie, you know, and it sucks because you got to wait an extra, you know, 45 minutes in line to do that or whatever for popular stuff. So this, yeah, it's so much better. And the, it, for our theater, anyway, the one near us here in uh, Epping, New Hampshire, uh, it's the same price. Reserve seats are the same price in advance as uh, as everything else. So it changes everything about going to the movies. We I went mm-hmm. years without going to the movies because I just, you know, hated it uh, because of that. And now we go all the time. So anyway, I, I, I digress. I'm, I'm hyper today, John. I don't know what it's it is. It's a tangent. Well, yeah. you're, on, you're on TV, man. Yeah. That's true. I did just finish doing a segment on uh, Bloomberg TV. So uh, I think that will be, it was live when I did it, but I think it will be uh, put up as a segment. Uh, I did it with Pim Fox on the 
Taking Stock, I think is the name of his show. But we talked about the Apple announcements and stuff. It's fun. Uh, Which sadly, I yeah. think their stock, uh, if I last I looked, they took about a 10 point hit. Yeah, they lost about, they closed about two, two and a quarter percent down. But there was one point, Pim was saying that they were down to a four month low at some point during the day. It's crazy. Whatever. It always happens after an announcement. Well, an announcement that doesn't wow. Correct. Analysts. Correct. I'm sorry, analysts. Yeah, and that was, we went through some of that on the, on Bloomberg today, because there was this other woman on who was saying that she felt, and I'm sorry, I don't have her name. I, um, I, I don't get to watch it while I do it, because they don't want to send me a stream and use bandwidth, because we did it over Skype. So I did not get this woman's uh, full name. I will. Uh, and my apologies to her if she's listening. But, uh, but she was saying, uh, She's not my friend anyway, I'm sure, after I told her this. But uh, she was saying that Apple, you know, is a consumer electronics company. And, and it's just, you know, she doesn't see that any of this new stuff matters. And I stopped her and I said, it's a mistake. I didn't stop her. But, but when I had my chance to speak, I said, it's a mistake to, to write Apple off as just another consumer electronics company. Yes, they make consumer electronics. But if you follow the history of Apple in any way... You know that they have a way of kind of sneaking up on you. And we talked about some of those sneaker, you know, those sleeper features well, like the like like the, the fingerprint scanning, the touch ID. Well, That's a sleeper feature. So. Well, what was said, I believe, is partially correct. They are one part of them is, in fact, a consumer electronics company, but they're also a software company. They're also a hardware company. They're also a, they're many different companies. That's and, right. And this is one facet of them. But I wouldn't say that's all they are. No, in that case, I would agree. With no, you. and you can't even and they don't operate in silos either. So you can't say, well, the consumer electronics division of Apple does this and the software division does that. I mean, it's they make products. Right. And they it's it's one team. Oh, no, I mean, no. They yeah. make solutions. There you go. That's right. And that's what I was saying. I said all these things that they added to the 5S, it's convenience, right? And it's great. The convenience because the camera's better. It's convenience with Touch ID. But be careful because they snuck stuff in with Touch ID that I think we're going to see kind of percolate down the road. But we already mm-hmm. talked about that. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, speaking of stuff we've already talked about, uh, Mike tweeted us and uh, and he uh, he said... You talked about personal cloud in uh, in show 464 it says I use a service called Tonito for t- personal cloud. Now, Tonito is interesting. Uh, it is it uses your Mac. So we talked about using own cloud and things like that. And there's actually a, a short term problem with own cloud where they're not letting you install it on Macs because of some Unicode incompatibility. Uh, but uh, but Tonito's available now. Tonito has an interesting they have a freemium model. The data always stays with you, okay? But uh, their software is their business. Um, whereas like Dropbox gives away their software and you then pay for storage beyond a certain amount. Tonito, uh, you own the storage, but uh, you need to pay for the software. But it's way cheaper than Dropbox. Uh, the free plan, you can sync up to two gigabytes of data in a shared folder. You can, but you can also use Tonito to access all the data on your Mac from remote, and there's no limit on that. And then for 29 bucks a year, you can sync 100 gigs and also access all your stuff from remote. And then you, for 200 bucks a year, they've got all kinds of crazy stuff. But, uh, but so I thought that was an interesting, an interesting solution. They're just writing software, so you know that they're going to be up to date on features and all that stuff because the software is their business. That's all they write. They don't, you know, they don't host your data. 
So uh, at least not with that product. I think they've got others where they, they might, but, mm-hmm. uh, but with this, it's, you know, your data. And if John and I used Tonito, our data would sync between our two Macs. It would never touch their servers. So I think their servers are just used to, you know, make sure we know who each other is and poke holes in our firewalls. And then, and then they're out of it. So mm-hmm. that's cool. It's cool. T O N I D O. And we will, it's called Tonito desktop is the product that uh, listener Mike pointed out to us. So thank you for that. Yes, John. I think next we have a, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you're right. I'll, okay. I'll give, I'll give it the intro. So we've talked about security and while we're in our kind of follow-up mode here, we're going to have, at least for now, sort of we're going to put a bow on this uh, email security conversation. But there are a couple of points that, uh, that have come up as questions and, uh, and also just in conversations between John and I that we wanted to share with you. So we will use some of these questions to, to kind of get there. But hopefully uh, we can do this succinctly uh, because we're already at the hour mark, John. So, yes. uh, so uh I'll get through these as quick as yeah. Go ahead. I don't think we need to read all of the questions. I think we can. I think we can encapsulate. And if you want, uh, if you want me to do some of that, fine. If you want to do it, go ahead. Um. All right. Well, the first question, if I could encapsulate it, so it's from Jurgen. Yep. And so this is something that I think we may not have effectively communicated here, or rather, the tools that you use may not necessarily tell you what's happening here i to to be fair i had the same question that you're about to and i i made the same assumption that jurgen made incorrectly initially so it's a you know i i it resonates with me go sorry i'm interrupting yeah so jurgen basically said so so what we talked about in the past was this concept of public key uh, cryptography which include which you when you start the process, you generate two keys, a private key, which is your key that you got to keep secret and it's all yours. And then a public key. And then you go through the process of sending this public key off somewhere and it gets signed by a certificate authority or a CA. And that's how the process works. But the question is who generates this public and private key pair and his concern. And I would agree with him is that at least when you use a browser, to initiate this process, it's not clear where these keys are being generated. Now, if they're following the spec and they're doing what they should, what happens is that when you request a certificate behind the scenes, your browser or your computer, or yeah, it's the browser or the OS, um, one or the other, they're generating this key pair. Remember, public, private key, two keys. And then what happens is when you go to a CA, it sends the public portion over the network, securely we would hope, it gets signed and then returned to you as a certificate. That's right. So I agree with him. Now his his paranoid part said, well, how do I know that this is really happening? And my answer to him was, well, at least when you do it with a browser, you really don't know if that's really happening. For all you know, it could be generated on the other end. Okay? Well, uh, again, it's, me... putting on, it's putting on my tinfoil hat. No, is that I'm there's with nothing, you. There's nothing... When you go through this process, there's nothing that the average user can do to prove to themselves that it is, in fact, happening on their system. So I will agree with him. It's unclear. I I would actually prefer the browser says, hi, you know what? I'm generating a key pair now. Okay, and then we're going to send it off. But it doesn't tell you that. I think they did it because they don't want to confuse people or with the terminology or just, you know, because most people would be like, 
I don't know what this means. Actually, I'll, I'll back up. I think the reason Go. they did it was they never expected non-geeks to worry about this stuff. Right. I mean, our our browsers and, and up until now, that's basically what it's been. In fact, even you and I, we started playing with S-MIME security stuff a couple of years ago. We actually started playing with it back in 1997 together, but it's been on and off. We just haven't. It hasn't been a priority. Right. And then recently it's sort of like, oh, hey, wait a minute. Maybe we should worry about this stuff more regularly. But what what the way that you can uh, make yourself feel better about this is when you go to a certificate authority, uh, you send your request to them and then they email you a link. Uh, and that email is the process by which they confirm that you actually own the email address that you said you owned. And once you can click that link, proving that you've got access to that email address, you then download from them a file and you add that file to your keychain, And then suddenly you have the ability to sign your mail. It is, and it was my assumption initially, I think it was your assumption too, John, and Bart Bouchot's, uh sort of set us straight. Uh, he said uh, that, you know, it's, it's a safe assumption. You get that file and put it in your keychain. That's your certificate pair. So I assume that the certificate authority generated the whole thing, had my private key and sent it to me. Wrong. What happened was my computer generated it. And the only thing I'm downloading from uh, the certificate authority is this certificate, but not the public or the private key. Those were generated on my computer. But the reason you don't see that happen is because when you use Safari to do this, it stores that stuff in your keychain when Safari generates it. So when you get this certificate from the authority, you add that to your keychain and now the puzzle is complete and you've got everything. But there's no obvious, like John said, it doesn't tell you, hey, I generated a key pair and stored it in your keychain, but it does. And that's how it works. So, yeah, it's a it's right. a fair it's a fair question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, it's, right. again, and I would it's, say it's a and I would say it's a fault in the UI because using something mm -hmm. like GPG tools. And this is what I wrote to him. I like GPG because it tells you, OK, I am now generating a key pair for you. OK, do you get this? So so it explicitly tells you that this is being generated on your computer, whereas the browser does not. So we'll close it out. But I yeah, we won't. I'm not going to let you get away with that because you're saying GPG tools is better um, because it it tells you that you're it's generating it on your computer. But you also when you were talking about SMIME, you're talking about the average user using GPG is not something any average user will do these days. So all I'm saying is that their UI tells you where the key pair is being generated. OK. Yeah. But it doesn't tell you it doesn't. And then you upload it to a, a server. Right. I mean, the same right. kind of thing happens. I, I wouldn't. Yeah, I, I wouldn't say that either okay. one of them is. I mean, it's just, you know, it's all I'm saying this is, geek is stuff. they tell. OK, but I'm all I'm saying is they tell you where it's happening and the other system doesn't. But we just set everybody straight. So. Right. Right. Yeah. No, SMIME is is fully secure. You're you're generating all, both keys locally and only sending up the certificate to be signed. And then it comes back and you're good to go. Yeah. Right. That's good. OK. OK. Next now, question. Yep. Dovetailing Quickly, right. Let's in. go to Scott here. OK. So Scott had a question and he basically said, well, if you exchange certificates uh, with whatever server, um, couldn't the NSA or other third party have access to your certificate to decrypt your email as if it was a trusted recipient? 
Okay. And what we have to do here is very clearly. So I, I think, again, I understand the confusion here. The thing is you have to, so we, we talked before, public private key. Now let's review what a certificate is. A certificate is a public key signed by a certificate authority's private key. And this is by design. Having someone's public key does not give you the ability to decrypt or verify a signature. And having the certificate authority's private key does not allow you to decrypt email uh, encrypted with the user's public key. So if I use, say, Komodo, I send my secure, uh, I send my certificate around. It's signed with Komodo's public private key. But I never Correct. see their private key. They never see mine. And messages that are encrypted with uh, my public key are not decryptable by anyone, including Komodo, other than me. Correct. So, so again, we ought to be very clear that a certificate is only contains a public key. That's right. Signed by a private key. The short answer is unless you uh, and and in, with SMIME, you would do this by going into your keychain and exporting what's known as a P12, P12 file. Unless you generate a P12 file or share your Mac's keychain with someone else, you have never shared your public key with anyone. It would not happen by accident. Again, unless if somebody has a full backup right. of your machine, uh, then and they know your login keychain password, then yes, they do have your private key. But otherwise, right. no. Yeah. And actually, that's to his question. So we asked the question, can I read encrypted email within Gmail's web interface? And the answer is, as Dave said, in order to read encrypted email that's meant for you, whatever system you're using, whether it be a web interface or another computer, needs to have your private key. How do you get that to another computer? Via one of these P12 files or a personal information exchange file, which is a password protected or it really should, should be, be. <laughs> yeah yeah this is the dangerous part when, when you're trying to distribute your private key to other systems it's going to be in this p12 file and they're going to say by the way i need a password to protect this you could certainly not use a password though to me that's that's uh, silly yeah. for example john and i you know i generated an s mime key for actually two of them for us here from mac geek App for feedback and and for premium for the email addresses so that we could communicate securely with you folks uh, but then I had to share the private key with John and I had to intently do that. And I, I did. I shared it with a P12 and I made a I put a password in there because otherwise you all could decrypt it. Now, that wouldn't be that big of a deal, except it would breach a trust thing that happens between us and you. And that's bad. So there you go. Right. OK. And the last question here. So I made a statement that was not entirely incorrect, but but I want to set people straight here because we had people write to me about this. You were so wrong. I it's suggest, OK. But it's OK. <laughs> no, I wasn't. I love giving I, you I a was, hard time it, about being wrong. It was it was a <laughs> order of magnitude. So the thing is, uh, my statement was that a RSA key that is thousands of bits is more secure than a symmetric key that is hundreds of bits. And that statement is False. True. No, it's true, but you got to think orders. Of, but what was pointed out to me is that I, I did not mention the orders of magnitude in this case. Okay. And very quickly, so from a mathematical point of view here, when you try to, well, the thing is, if you try to crack either of these systems using brute force, then what I said is entirely true, is that if you try to brute force something that's thousands of bits versus hundreds of bits, it's going to take you longer. The thing is, 
Uh, public key cryptography is not something that you, if you want to crack it smartly, you don't use brute force. The thing is it uses something called, I think, a discrete log. Basically, it's taking two prime numbers, uh, multiplying them and coming up with a bigger prime number. So the thing is the, the, the way to hack a public key system that's thousands of bits long is you're trying to find two prime numbers. So basically, the thing is uh, an equivalent, and, and we have a link to an article here at RSA. So the thing is, um, one, bench, uh, one figure that they mentioned here is that, okay, a 256-bit secret or symmetric key is roughly equivalent to a 15,000-bit RSA key. Right. So, so in order to get equivalent security, you're going to need an RSA key that's uh, you know, about you know, two orders of magnitude larger than a symmetric key. So just to clarify that, because, yep. because again, you're solving different in, problems. The math in, is different. In short, to sum all of this up from, from where we started with where your key is generated to where the, uh, to the, the differences in the symmetric and the, the asymmetric keys in short, using S mime, using PGP or GPG tools for the Mac, both of these super secure. If you've encrypted your data with these, or if someone has encrypted data for you with these, because they're public keys, you're the only one that has the ability to decrypt those short of someone doing a brute force attack. And even that's pretty secure. The only, <laughs> the only, the only uh, thing I'm going to differ with you on this is that assuming that someone has not inserted a back door into your system and, and has observed the key generation process. And that has been hinted at oh, in sure. some articles. Well, sure. If somebody, if somebody has access to your Mac and has a, you have a virus running on there, then sure. Yes. If someone intercepts the key generation process, yes, of course. Or observes it and sees you generating your private key, then you lose. Just like right. if this P12 file is compromised, then you lose. That's so, right. I mean, you may even mean want to, be super paranoid and disconnect your computer from the network if you're generating keys. That's not know. a bad well, idea. No, you. <laughs> yeah, you totally uh, okay. Can. So, yeah, th yeah. so thanks for the questions. That uh, and I think that is the end of our our secure email chapter. But it was a great well. It's the it's the end of it in terms of uh, taking up showtime with it at least for the next you know half a dozen episodes or so. But if you have any questions or uh, certainly if you want to communicate with us securely. Uh, just email us and, and we will share our public key with every reply that we send out going forward. We've been doing it for the last couple of weeks. We will continue doing it. So as soon as you get an email from us, you, if you're using mail on the Mac, you will then have our public key in your keychain, and you can encrypt mail uh, being sent to us. If you go through the steps we talked through last time about setting up S mine. So <laughs> awesome. All right. And I think uh, with that, John, it is uh it is about that time. It is about that time. Yeah. No, it is that time. It is that time. It's past that time, in fact. It's, the time has already started. All right. Uh, let's see. I already mentioned it once, John. Feedback at MacGeekUp.com is the email address to which you can send in your questions, tips, comments, uh, securely or insecurely, as you may choose. I would just want to refine that a bit, Dave, is that I, I really think you meant to say feedback at MacGeekGab.com. And I do mean that uh, unless you are a premium subscriber, in which case the second email address I mentioned earlier, premium at MacGeekGab.com, is the address that you want to send that to. And we do prioritize answers to that address, but we do try to get to everything. Brilliant. 
But yeah. there, there are so many other ways to I, I want to stop, so though. The, uh, all of you oh. who are premium subscribers that hit your oh, first yeah. goal, it, by the time, in fact, I think most of you probably have them by now, uh, certainly those of you that are in the U.S., uh, should have received your premium gifts. Uh, we've been starting to get tweets from people and uh, people s- sending in pictures. There's a picture up on Facebook of the uh, Mac Geek Gab water bottles that we put together for all of you. There's a little note inside that John and I put together for you. But uh, mm-hmm. but they have been sent out. The uh, all, the U- all the U.S. stuff was sent out, I think, on Friday. Uh, uh, so that would be Friday the, the 6th. Right? From, from where? From Connecticut. So uh, where's mine? I didn't get mine yet. I know you. I think you and I were sent last. I think you and I are actually being sent with the, when they do the uh, the, the. Okay. Yeah, I know. Um, so anyway, so we've got uh, all that stuff uh, is out. The international stuff is being sent this week. In fact, that may have been finished today, if not today, tomorrow. So that's that's coming too. The the goal was to have everything delivered by the end of this week. Uh, certainly, domestic stuff should be and uh, and then the international and, stuff. And to answer the question, swing. Dave, what is premium? Premium is is a way where you can uh, through a, a small monetary contribution show your appreciation for the show. Yes, that's right. And and we have various ways of doing it. Um, once you have hit uh, $100 in donations, you then qualify for uh, a premium gift like we just talked about. And, and you can hit that as quickly or as slowly as you want. Uh, this time took us a long time to get these gifts processed. But now we know what we're doing. And next time we'll go much, much, much faster. So uh, I think we're probably going to do one in several months. I don't think we're going to wait uh, too much longer to, to do the I, next round. I so. learned I learned more than I needed to learn about doing uh, email. Yeah. Uh, uh, mass uh, mass emails. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's good. It's good. And parsing uh, data and, and databases we, and all that fun stuff. Yeah. We do appreciate your patience with that. I know it took, it took a lot longer than I expected, and I know it took longer than you folks expected. So thank you. Uh, all right, uh, so that's premium. MacGeekUp.com. You can uh, you can learn all about it right there. Uh, if you want to call us, you can call us at two zero six 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 Geek, which is John forty three thirty five. But that's not all, Dave. We are on the Twitters, and as far as the Twitters are concerned, I am John Abron. He is Dave Hamilton. That other guy is Pilot Pete. The podcast is Mac Geek Gab, and the publication is Mac Observer. All at Twitter.com. That's right. You can find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash MacGeekGab. Like I said, there's uh, uh, somebody had shared a picture of a water bottle that we put on our, our page there. But uh, you can also find the events for when we do these live shows. I do want to say hi to everybody in the, uh, in the, in the chat room at MacGeekGab.com slash stream. We are normalizing back to Sundays uh, now that we've kind of gotten through this a little bit here. And my family, kids, sport, craziness schedule is settling into something I can somewhat predict. Uh, it's all good. So I may throw a monkey wrench in the works, but we'll, we'll see. I'll, yeah. I'll, I won't go into too much detail. All right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but next next show is on Sunday morning, and actually I think the next four shows are Sunday mornings for us, for uh, Eastern time, for those of you that... Oh, uh, that's good. I'm, I'm going to grind the coffee. Yeah, it's I'm good. I'm going to start now. That's good. <laughs> I know. We like it. That's good. All right. Uh, yeah, that's it. I do want to shout out uh, thanks to Michael Johnston from We Have Communicators. He's the one that converts this and adds all the chapters and all that great stuff. So thank you, Michael. He uh, hosts that podcast, and then he also publishes GetAppler.com. 
Cashfly, C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com, provides all the bandwidth to get the show from us to you. The podcast marketplace includes BB Edit and Yo Jimbo from Barebone Software, Text Expander, PDF, and Disc Label, all from Smile, Gazelle.com, uh, where you can sell your stuff back and get your price locked through 1015, and also uh, Squarespace that MGG9 gets you 20% off, and then CrashPlan.com. And I think that does it, John. Uh, with all this talk about security, you gotta you got to share some advice, though. If you want to be secure, then you want to make sure you don't get caught. Made up.